Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. The Australian version of There's One Born Every Minute went to air Tuesday night. You can walk. Here she comes. Here she comes. Come on. You can do it. You did that. You did it. Throughout the series, we'll get to see something that isn't normally highlighted on Aussie TV. How women in this country from different cultural backgrounds deal with pregnancy and birth. Today, we speak to three women to find out what their faith and family background has brought to the experience of bringing new life into the world. Every year, more than 300,000 babies are born across Australia, Some of those births were captured on camera at Sydney's Westmead Hospital by the Australian version of a UK show called One Born Every Minute. I hope I don't shit myself. It does happen sometimes. If you leave me, I'll kill you. Remember what I said? It's a pain so excruciating, but when you've had the baby, you forget all about it. The premise of the show is to follow women through a hospital labour ward, documenting their different birthing experiences. 60 cameras were fixed to the walls through the ward, capturing every moment from their arrival to leaving with their new tiny human. If you're an Anglo-Australian, unless you have close friends from a variety of cultural backgrounds, your experience with birth looks like a not-too-distant relative of those we see on mainstream Aussie TV. But the experience of bringing a new life into the world can be very different when you add in the customs of your birth country or faith, like Mona. Mona is the mum of a three-week-old little girl called Zamzam. Mona's family is quite the cultural melting pot. Mona is Muslim Lebanese, her husband is part Aboriginal and African. Mona, being Muslim by faith, were there any cultural expectations about who was allowed in the room during your labour? Islamically, just women, I guess. But if we had to have a doctor, if it was really essential and there was only male doctors, I would accept that. And we're allowed to accept that. But if we had the option of a female doctor, obviously I would choose that, which I did. And I was so lucky that I did get that. I had a female doctor and midwife and all the nurses were females. And they were so understanding and supportive. So I was really lucky in that, to be honest. Yeah. Now, as a Muslim woman, we know that modesty is a big part of your faith. So do you... I mean, when I was in labour, I just took everything off. But do you do you <laughs> remain modest? Do you remain clothed during the process? How does that work? For me personally, I was in another world and I was naked, <laughs> but I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care. But Islamically speaking, obviously you're supposed to try to stay modest, but you're not going to be judged for not being modest because, you know, obviously what you're going through is very, very hard. And our creator knows that he's the one that created the whole process. Part of the Muslim faith is you pray very regularly. Did that happen yeah. during your labour or did your husband pray during labour? So, again, like I was saying, there's mercy in everything. Obviously, our creator 
is the one that created us and he knows we're not going to be able to pray throughout <laughs> when we're going through severe contractions. So usually um, I think it's when you start bleeding, when you have the bloody show or the water breaks. Uh, yeah, I stopped praying, obviously, because I couldn't. Um, but I told my husband to pray. I was actually screaming at him. I was like, go pray for me right now. <laughs> so, well, as an extension of prayer, Dad says some pretty important things to the baby right after they arrive, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. So it's called the Adhan. So I don't know if you've heard it, but basically it's the call to prayer. It's actually really beautiful. And it's the first thing the baby should be hearing, so it's actually really nice. Can you give us an example? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> it's basically Allahu Akbar, Allah is greater. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah. There is no one worthy of worship except Allah, which is the creator. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. And he repeats it a few times, Muhammad Rasulullah is, Muhammad is uh, the prophet. I know there's a lot of customs that come after the baby is born as well. So yeah. do you want to talk us through the process of the baby being welcomed into the family and into the faith? Can you talk us through all of that? So tahnik would be one of them. So what we do is we get a little bit of date and usually the father will put a little bit of just saliva on it just so it's soft and obviously it's just literally like a taste put it in the child's mouth and it's actually already got vitamin K in it. So they're really getting a bit of vitamin K from that. Um, and we also shave their hair on the seventh day. And then we weigh that and we give that amount in silver to charity. And also we sacrifice a lamb and we give that in charity as well. Through these customs, we're always reminded to be giving as well. Our creator just gave us a newborn, like we don't obviously would love to <laughs> sacrifice a lamb and give it in charity. It's nothing compared to what we've been given. What about traditionally for you as mum? Is there anything that you are going through post-birth that is is culturally different than what we would normally be seeing on our TV screens? We're usually being for roughly 40 days. So for 40 days, we don't need to pray. And obviously we can't have sex and things like that. Again, that's Islamic. So our creator knows that obviously we're not going to be able to do those things and he's given us that break for it. That's where the mercy and the kindness is again in our Subhanallah in Islam, which is so beautiful. Christy Kakuma-Williams is a proud Wadi Wadi woman from the UN Nation on the New South Wales East Coast. She had her daughter Ari, named for her totem, the Sea Eagle, back in May as part of the On Country program. Christika, I was reading about your pregnancy and you mentioned that you would, in a perfect world, like to give birth in the same place that your nan did. Can you describe that for us? Yeah. So my grandmother, she's from Wreck Bay Aboriginal community, Jervis Bay, New South Wales. She gave birth under a lily-pilly tree on her Aboriginal community. So obviously that's not an option in yep. 2019 at this stage <laughs> and you do need to go to a hospital still to give birth. Um, well, you could have it at home. Obviously, home birthing is an option here in Australia. But mm-hmm. you had an Indigenous midwife who saw you through the process from start to finish through the Birth on Country program who helped incorporate Aboriginal cultural practices into not just the birth itself but into the prenatal care. Can you just talk us through what that means? Yeah, so just having someone that understood our cultural way of being, our expectations, and being able to relate to someone that was also Indigenous woman as well and connected a lot with her people. Yeah, so she really just talked me through and helped me understand the whole mainstream process with a cultural spin on it. So she just understood our family traditions, 
understanding that family need to be around during this process as well, understanding our connection to the land and our connection to the earth and, you know, our Indigenous protocols as well that women use during birthing experiences. That could be like the smoking ceremonies, having all your family around. Personally, for me, um, immediately when I found out I was pregnant, I took myself back onto country, put my feet in the water, went and visited my grandmother and ancestors and like connected with them through meditation and mindfulness, went for a walk in the bush and painted myself with ochre and stuff as well just to connect myself and the new experience that was coming ahead and use the boweb flowers that I believe are something that women used back in the day when they were giving birth. I used an essence for that as well during my pregnancy and bottle brush is also great for the mother and child bonding as well. So during my pregnancy, I used those essences and when I went to have my baby in a mainstream hospital, I think they've done a lot of cultural type of mentoring with our Indigenous local services around here. So I felt like even if they didn't quite understand, they allowed me to use my practices in the birthing suite, which was good. I had the essences there. I was able to use those. I was able to put like pieces of from the country, like, you know, land pieces that I was able to take into the room. I was able to diffuse um, oils and use crystals and stuff as well and have my meditation and family are allowed in the rooms as many as you want and also at the hospital they have an indigenous like a room for that allocate for family to be there so that's what they did they put me in a room where there were a lot of visitors that were able to come in and stuff like that so I felt that they accommodated to me pretty well and I think having that Indigenous midwife that advocated for me during my pregnancy and did all the antenatal care and passed that on through the hospital, I, I guess that gave them a bit of bit more understanding for us Indigenous women back here in, in Nara. So you weren't able to have your baby on country, but you brought some country I, to the hospital with you. I brought some country to the hospital with me. And yeah, and I guess that really helped a lot during the process. Yeah. Artie and her husband were visiting Australia on a visa validation trip when they found out they were expecting not just one, but two babies. They had to decide whether to return to India to have their twins or stay here and have them in Australia. They chose to stay. Artie, can you talk us through some of the Hindu traditions that you brought to your Australian birth experience? So in the first month of the pregnancy, usually they put green bangles for the mother and there's a small function basically for the mother and just the close family members. And then on the, and the after we complete the seventh month, the seventh month function wherein you uh, invite all others like the friends and family, the extended families. And it's kind of a baby shower but uh, in a traditional way and there are a lot of, uh, you know, things that happen like uh, you, um, there are a lot of flowers involved basically. It's called fula. Fula is basically flowers. So the mother is put flowers on her head, the garland and the flowers on her head and hands and everywhere. And then there's a lot of decorations like they create a cardboard, uh, you know, big, huge cardboard moon, crescented moon. And the mother sits on it and there's this you know, bench, uh, a swing where the mother swings along with the baby. And there's a lot of happiness around where you they make uh, sweets at home. Uh, and then there's dry fruits and fruits and you know all the stuff that the mother can eat all healthy stuff and it's all about being happy and you know 
welcoming the baby that is on the way and will be coming soon. Now, I was reading that a lot of Hindu families place a small dot or the Om symbol on the baby after they're born. What's the significance yeah. of that? And did you do that? Uh, you don't put Om on the child, but yes, the black dot, yes, there are multiple black dots on the face of the child. It's basically the kajas. Now, the reason for it is basically to ward off the evil eyes of, you know, the other outsiders. It's a belief that if a person is jealous of you or the baby, the baby starts crying at the night, it doesn't feel well and everything. So that's the reason they put the black dot to ward off the evil eye and it's because people do come and visit your child and if jealous or anything, you know, it hampers the baby. I was also reading that there's a significance in the sixth day after a baby is born. Yes. So it's called a sati. So there is this female lord called Sati who writes your future. So she writes the future of the baby on the sixth day. And uh, so uh, she comes basically in the evening, after the evening, after the sunset. And what they do is they light a deer and they keep the baby in the hand. They do not keep the baby down or in the cradle. And in the cradle, they actually keep a book and a pen so that the uh, female lord she can come and write the future for that child and we pray that it is all good. And it's all about a fun evening because we do not keep the baby down. So it's all about, you know, singing songs, dancing around, playing instruments and, you know, having food to eat for the people around and everything for the family members. At the end of labour, we all want the same thing, regardless of our cultural or religious background. A happy baby to love and hold. Lucky for us, we live in a place where we can not only do that safely, but we can do it surrounded by the cultures and faiths of our multicultural heritage. Australia can be a pretty great place sometimes. You can check out this week's episode of One Born Every Minute Australia on 10Play or catch it on Channel 10 free to air Tuesday nights at 8.30pm. Ellie Beattie is the executive producer of The Quickie. Audio production by Ian Camilleri. For more episodes, you can head to mamamia.com.au forward slash The Quickie. And if there's a new story you'd like us to look a little bit more in depth in for you, send us an email, thequickie at mamamia.com.au.